Welcome to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, horror, fantasy, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen. With me, as always, is my co-host... Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, you can find us on Twitter, at the area 51 h Same thing on Instagram and TikTok. Nick, this has been quite the weekend. I mean... We talk about pop culture, we want to talk about it, but you know what, aliens? It is so hard to see everything. Yeah, this was a big week for releases. Huge week. Oh my gosh, I mean, like, the Obi-Wan Kenobi released, yep. Stranger Things 4 released. Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick released. I mean, we, we can't see it everything. We're still trying to catch up seeing things that we haven't seen. Speaking of which, we finally caught up and saw Morbius. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Was it was it as bad as people have said no. it is? No. I mean, this, this is your basic um, superhero movie, if you will. Um, it wasn't as bad as people have said it is, yeah. but it is as bad as people have said it is. It was. It was a, okay. It was a mess. Let's just put it that way. It was a very messy movie. The action sequences were the action. The action sequences kind of teeter tottered between good and what am I watching? The acting wasn't great because I feel like you had a director who didn't know how to wrangle in some of the actors, specifically Matt Smith. Matt Smith, who I love by the way, was completely off the wall, chewing up scenery and had no restraint whatsoever. And I think that just came down to a director that didn't know how to deal with them. Yeah, and it's sad because I think that Jared Leto was actually the right choice for Michael Morbius. Yeah. But it's this is just... The, I, I think the problem's in the script. I Yeah, it was a bad script. There, there was... It's frustrating because you can see snippets of a good movie throughout it. Like, it looks like a good movie. The, the cinematography, while nothing to write home about, is still fairly decent. And again, I really, really dug Matt Smith as the bad guy, but he was just going too far one way and not the other. Yeah. And we're going to just give you a little, you know what, Nick, we need to start right now and put in the spoiler alert for the whole show. And here it is, the spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So, I mean... And here's the thing with Morbius. It's like Sony is just going to try their hardest to give us that Sinister Six movie. Somebody there is jonesing yeah. for it. And it's like, what what a, what a, what a shame so that I, they dragged Michael Keaton into that. And, you know, you can almost tell the, the lines he had. He was just like... Oh, he was phoning today. I, I hope someone gave me a million dollars for this. So... And, and let, let's talk about this. So I do believe that there is an executive at Sony who's been there for a while now who is really chomp, really champing at the bit to get this Sinister Six movie that no one cares about out the gate. And our friend Alex, I think, put it the best way. He didn't care about any of the characters. No, none of the... the None of the characters were particularly memorable. None of them you really cared about. I The movie was only an hour 40, which was really... Is short. that all it was? Yeah. It felt like three hours. It did, didn't it? It dragged on. So here's here's the thing, though. I felt that some of the runtime... They could have made it... The, 
They could have made it tighter, and if they made it tighter, they could have made it longer. And Like in some of the opening sequences, I'm sitting there. Remember what the comment that I made about the waterfalls? Like, oh, yes, we get it. It's yeah. a tall waterfall as the camera continues to pan down this waterfall and then goes through these rocks, cave-like, and to eventually get to see a helicopter. It's a CGI set. It was and I like if this was a legitimate, if they were legitimately in Costa Rica and they were showing us establishing shots of waterfalls and caves, honestly, I'd be cool with that. But it's a CGI set. If you I don't lo- care. Okay, let's compare it to a movie that's like thirty years old, okay? Right. Where they did those establishing opening shots better. Arachnophobia. Okay. The opening to Arachnophobia, it's setting the scene. You got these guys that are there. It shows how the spider is going to get to America and everything that happens. You get it. You're not bored by it. You you understand it. Morbius just was boring in well, those opening shots. Look at Jurassic Park. When they are traveling to Isla Nublar on the helicopter, you got all of the establishing shots of Isla Nublar. And they're, t- they're, they're, they're interspersing that with scenes where they're talking to each other in the helicopter. It doesn't, it's good pacing, it's very well paced, and you don't get bored watching it. And honestly, it's Hawaii, so Hawaii looks friggin' gorgeous. Yeah. I, the, the, the movie, just to go back to it, um, the movie was, you it know ha- what? It, ha- it has pacing problems. It has pacing problems, and for what it was, it committed the cardinal sin. It bored us. It bored us so much that we thought it was an hour and a half longer than it actually was. No, and it, it bored the... us so much I fell asleep halfway through. Yeah, you did. True. Um, but there's the thing. Tighten it up by losing some of those establishing shots of CGI sets and focusing on the relationship between Michael Morbius and Milo or Lucius or whatever that kid, that guy's name, whatever Matt Smith's character's name is. Um would have helped the movie. It would have given us something, an emotional anchor to go off of. And that's what the movie lacked was an emotional anchor. And when you have a movie like this, where it is about a character who is trying to like, okay, he's trying to get rid of a disease, but we'll just say better himself and uh, fight for him and his friend, you need the emotional anchor because I did not buy the relationship between the two well, of them. Well, even the directing style and even the things that they did from with, from the point of special effects seemed like a movie that would have been done a decade ago. Honestly, yeah. And you know what? That's a criticism I've seen a lot for this movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of talking about Morbius because it was that bad and it was that boring. We have so much other things to talk about. Um, but I, I just want to say, Sony, sell all the rights back to Disney and Marvel. Yeah, and, Sony, and just get out of it. Just, yeah. You're just, done. Just forget. You're done. Um, so something that I watched just uh, as a palate cleanser one night, just because I, I thought, oh, I kind of want to see what they do with this, because this happens a lot to me, being an older person, mm-hmm. where I see something that I loved as a kid, and then it just doesn't work, or they put a new spin on it. I sat down and watched on Netflix Scoob, fully intending to not like it. Scoob is the, sort of the latest iteration of Scoob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the CGI. Yeah, it was a big screen uh, animated movie. And they're kind of younger in this movie, right? They, they, yeah, they are younger. It shows how Shaggy met Scooby and how he met uh, Fred and Velma and Daphne. And I have to say, I loved it. I actually loved this movie because whoever wrote the movie, whoever wrote it is, 
I don't know if they're my age, but they loved the Hanna-Barbera cartoons and they honored it. Yeah. And what was really cool about it is that the villain that they were going after is Dick Dastardly. Really? Yes. And Muttley's there and, you know, it's Oh, like, see, now I need to see this because Muttley is one of my favorite but characters. It, but it's interesting what they did. And I don't want to give any spoiler on that because you have not seen yeah, I it. Yeah, I have not. But uh, I, I gave it four stars out of five. And the only reason it doesn't get uh, that fifth star is because some of what they did with a couple of the characters to me were not were not honest in a way. For instance, um, they have the Blue Falcon in it. And the... the, the Dynamic between Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt doesn't work because that's not from the original cartoon the way that it is. Now, having said that, Blue Falcon, voiced by Mark Wahlberg, is supposed to be the original Blue Falcon's son. Okay. And Dino Mutt is, well, he's, he's a lot brighter and smarter in this than he ever was in the original Blue Falcon cartoon. And Ken Jeong voices him. See, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not familiar with Blue Falcon. No, because it, it's one of those things that kind of Barbera dominated Saturday morning cartoons. And so it might have only been a cartoon for a year or two or right, whatever, yeah. right? But the characters stayed in the zeitgeist and they stayed in our, our memories and they stayed in the pop culture for quite some time. The other thing that they did wrong is Captain Caveman makes an appearance. Oh, Captain Caveman. But they have Tracy Morgan voicing Captain Caveman, and it's nothing to do with Tracy Morgan himself. It's just that he his voice is not the right voice for Captain Caveman. Captain Caveman was not fully literate. Well, and yeah, like I I like Tracy Morgan. Um, absolutely adored him in Thirty Rock. But I yeah no I don't think he would be the right thing for for Captain Caveman. No, and and but this is what I mean by this was clever and it was smart. It honored the characters. It for the most part, the characters were the characters that we all know and love. There was they didn't do anything completely off the wall with them or completely different with them, and they had all of these great Easter eggs in there. Like for instance, they Don Messick was one of the big voice actors for the Hanna Barbera series. Yeah, and they go to Messick Island. Oh, that's cool. The the Laugh Olympics was one of those Saturday morning cartoons yeah, where they yeah. brought in all of the characters, and as Shaggy and Scooby are barricading themselves in an arcade at this uh, abandoned uh, amusement park, which you know that, that's that's a Scooby Doo episode. Mm -hmm. They they put this arcade game against the door, and it's called the Laugh Olympics. It's Easter eggs like that that made this so fresh and so fun and so wonderful to watch because it modernized it while honoring the old. Uh, vintage cartoons that's really cool and that's what i wish more movie movies would do don't See, don't take beloved characters and crap on them and everything you're telling like i was avoiding that movie i was honestly avoiding it because ah, you because know? i was too because of that very reason i know exactly what you're saying it's all the reasons that i said that surprised me that they didn't do yeah and yeah i I want to see it now. I really want to see it now with everything you've told me. Thank you for for kicking the spoilers aside there. One of the movies that I watched recently was the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie, which was a love letter to 90s kids. It was it was so cool. It was really, really wonderful. Um, it was fun with Andy Samberg and John Mulaney voicing Chippendale, respectively. I loved it. Um, 
Okay, see, now this this is it, though. This is one of the things that I, I because I, I did not watch Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, I was a grown-up by the time yeah. that was on. Um, I've heard yeah, people hate this movie, or they love this movie. The movie was definitely made for people, for, for kids that grew up in the 90s but watching the Disney But these are afternoon. kids that grew up in the 90s, because nobody my age watching it. So, I mean, there are people that have trashed it and people that have loved it. So, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. So, tell me why you loved it, because I know why I've, I've seen on the internet why people hate it. So, why do you love it? I loved it because, one, there was so many... It's an Easter egg movie, for one thing. There's so many different things going on in this movie that you have to watch it a couple times to see everything. You've got cameos from... You've got cameos from Roger Rabbit himself. You've got cameos from all sorts of... Di- and it's not just cartoon cameos like in Roger Rabbit. We have video game characters. We have movie characters. Seth Rogen does a voice in this. Okay. And there's a part where all of the characters that Seth Rogen has voiced appear in the same scene. So it sounds to me like you love this the way that I loved Scoob. Kinda, yeah. yeah. Like I said, it's a, it's a love letter to 90s kids. A love letter to the kids that grew up on that. It's It was cool to catch up with these characters... And it it was it was kind of it had a kind of noir de- detective noir plot to it, but it still had that very cartoon flair to it. Not it was didn't marry the two as well as Roger Rabbit, and I do see this as I mean it takes place in the same universe as Roger Rabbit. One Roger Rabbit is there. Two they reference the dip, so it takes place in the same universe, which is really cool. But it doesn't wrap them together as well because at the end of the day, Chippendale are the main characters. You don't you have an Eddie Valiant character, but she is a secondary character. She she's she's a supporting character. Right. This is this follows, and it's it's really cool. Some of the aspects that they use to kind of mingle it with modern day Hollywood, like the whole idea of cheese specifically gouda being like drugs for month for uh monterey jack who's a character from rescue rangers the idea that that dale went and got a cgi facelift <laughs> like that that was so it, like it's so funny just the way it, it kind of couples everything again i love andy samberg i really really enjoy him and seeing him play dale john mulaney playing this kind of neurotic version of chip because the, the the way it works it starts off with them as kids and then they they grow up and they want to be actors so they get their own show which is chip and dale's chip and dale yeah. rescue rangers and the big part of the plot is Mon- monty's been kidnapped monterey jack's been kidnapped by bootleggers and the villain oh my god the villain just killed me when i saw him and they have to find Monty. Okay, you know what? I'm, I'll try and check it out. Now, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, this this movie version of it. Yeah. Uh, it was direct to streaming. It didn't go... It was it's, Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. It was made for Disney Plus. All right. Direct and to stream. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like... You have... When you look at like the old Disney Channel movies or even some of the Disney Plus movies now, they have a very certain feel to them. A very... They, they feel... I don't know what the right word is, but they see they they, they feel kind of um, antiseptic in a yeah. way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean by that. This doesn't feel like that. Um, speaking of movies that we saw that you wouldn't expect me to see, I took my mother to see *Downton Abbey: A New Era*. 
Um, the interesting thing is Downton Abbey, I mean, that was a huge hit on television for yeah, it was. Uh, a lot of people. Uh, our friend Bill Wellsby told me I should watch it. Now, I never did because I was busy doing other things. And quite frankly, I was probably watching American Horror Story at the time instead. Mm. Um, so I went. I took my mother to see the first Downton Abbey movie. And then she wanted to see this one. It's the right. first time she's been in theaters since way before the pandemic. Um, I know that this is not everybody's flavor. Okay. Right. But this is how you make a movie. This movie had no villain. It had no, like, protagonist, antagonist. It had no conflict. And yet it was gripping because it was the lives of these people and there was mystery surrounding it. And there was, the plot was so simple. The plot kicks off very simply. The roof is leaking in Downton Abbey and they need, because it's this humongous edifice back to medieval times being like a castle-like mansion, they have to come up with the money somehow to fix the leak in the roof. And so they have a movie company come in. Mm -hmm. And then there's little bits of conflict within there. But it, it's personal conflict. It's not conflict between two people. It's not conflict that is high on action. It's not conflict that is... Th there's no real CGI in this. It's all location. Yeah. It's going to get Oscar-nominated for costumes because nobody in the, the early 1930s setting that this takes place and wears the same outfit twice except the servants. It's that upstairs, downstairs, and it was riveting to watch. You know how we were talking about Morbius feeling like a three-hour movie for like an hour and a half? Yeah. Well, this is Downton Abbey is about a two hour, maybe two and a bit movie. Didn't feel like it. Felt like it kept the pace. The pacing was good in it. Now, I realize, again, these kind of big sweeping dramas are not always to everybody's taste. And well, people might go into it and find it boring. But what I'm saying is, in you, this is how, again, you make a movie because I didn't watch the Downton Abbey TV series and I could go in this and I knew who the characters were. You were invested. They told me who the characters were. Yeah. I was able to follow the plot not knowing any of the background of the characters from the TV series and it was watchable knowing nothing about Downton Abbey. I want to talk about that for a second because the last time I watched a, a, a uh, movie that was just interpersonal drama was The Descendants with George Clooney, and that was at least seven years ago. Right. And I want to be honest with you, I kind of miss watching movies like that. I don't know if it'll be Downton Abbey that I'll watch, but i got to pick that type of movie back up. Well, the, these, what it shows to me is how different British movie studios and British television are to North American television, yeah. where they don't suffer from the same glitz and glamour and like a lot of the criticisms that you and I have given on this show and other people have said is like well it's just another big old glitzy special effect movie and yeah incredible stunts and blah whatever none of that is there there's no stunts there's no there's just this mystery surrounding Maggie Smith's character uh, of the Grand Dame and her inheriting a villa from some guy that she had a dalliance with, or did she, many, many, many years ago. And, you know, it's funny you say that, because, like, I look at some of the British TV shows I've watched through the years, ones that I've watched as a kid, ones that I've watched as an adult, and British television doesn't really seem to obsess over 
finding the prettiest people to populate their shows as right. what American television does. I mean, um, uh, just thinking of Prime, the, the TV show Primeval. Yeah, okay, there were pretty young people on that show, but your main character just looks like a guy on the street. You know? I honestly give Downton Abbey A New Era a full five stars because they did nothing wrong with this movie. Awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, granted, it's not going to... It probably isn't going to get nominated for Best Picture or anything like that. But, you know, it's... It'll get an Oscar. It's it's great. It's, It'll get an Oscar nom at the very, very, de- very Definitely least. for costumes. And I just wish people would, in Hollywood, just take those notes. Take those lessons. Here's the thing. The lessons that we can take from Scoob and Chippendale. Honor the... Honor, honor the property. Honor what came before. Honor the property. Honor what came before. Because Scoob is one of those things where I am old enough to be a grandfather. You can sit down there with three generations and watch Scoob and enjoy it. Because all three of those generations are growing up, have grown up with or are growing up with Scooby-Doo. Downton Abbey. Gripping. Drama. Doesn't have to be over the top. Doesn't have to be a mile a minute action. You know, right. if you write a good story, we will go along with you. Yeah, and that is a complete antithesis to some of the movies that come out nowadays. But anyway, Nick, time for the roundup. Alrighty, so we're going to start off with some news that's come out of the House of Mouse. Uh, specifically Disney plus Marvel. We are getting a new series of Daredevil, and I'm excited for that. And they are bringing back uh, Charlie Cox to play Daredevil, play Matt Murdock. I'm excited for that because it's about time. Now, where that leaves the Netflix shows and the continuity is is yet to be seen. But I'm I'm really hoping we see we see Coulter back as uh, Luke Cage because I really liked him as Luke Cage. I think that they'll do continuity. I think really what they're trying to do is to fit it into the Marvel universe that they've created for the yep. MCU. And they just need to maybe tweak it here and there to fit it in as they did with no way home where Matt Murdock becomes Peter Parker's lawyer. Yeah. And you know what? We might see him in she Hulk because in the comic books, they work together at times. I think they probably will. Yeah. Uh, another thing that's coming up, coming out the pipeline is, and I can't believe, believe I'm saying this, a Winnie the Pooh horror movie. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Um, if Aliens, if you have not seen this on the internet, this has gotten a lot of attention because the idea is completely, completely bonkers. It's about a college-age Christopher Robin leaving the Hundred Acre Wood and Winnie the Pooh and Piglet uh, transmogrify into these hideous monsters and start killing teenagers what the actual heck like what is going on the there is apparently allegedly there is a scene where they eat eeyore and this looks bonkers it looks absolutely ridiculous i am so in for this if it turns out to be the biggest piece of crap ever i am cool with that because this just looks like fun and you know what it probably will be (laughs) But, but then again, that's that's what a lot of horror movie stuff is, especially independent. Uh, we watched on Joe Bob Briggs, we watched uh, Slaughterhouse. Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Slaughterhouse is one of those movies where it's like, okay, you probably made it too late in the slasher genre. Yeah. It was interesting, but this is the type of movie that I think should be remade, where you take something that had some promise but wasn't the best thing, 
and turned it into something good. Yeah, you and I actually had a conversation about who we would cast in that movie. I think that was an interesting one. Um, going back to Winnie the Pooh, though, they filmed it in 10 days. Well, they filmed Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a weekend. So. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah, it was enough, like a week enough. or whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't very long. I mean, that's the kind of thing. Like the original Little Shop of Horrors filmed in a weekend. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Okay. So, so, just, so yeah, I mean, just because it's been filmed in 10 days doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be bad. However, I don't know that they have a huge budget for this. Probably not. And if anybody's wondering, the reason they can do this without getting sued by Disney is because as of January, Winnie the Pooh and all of Milne's work on that story is now in the public domain. So it's no longer the, the exclusive rights of Disney. I'm kind of interested in this because somebody wrote a fan fiction story years ago, like if Stephen King had written Winnie the Pooh, and it was entitled uh -huh. Winnie the Pooh Goes Ape Blank, you know? And... It's something that, that Pooh got into some sort of bad batch of honey or whatever. And <laughs> it just slaughters everybody in the Hundred Acre Woods. You know, I would pay good money for a Stephen King story where he writes about Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> like, or, that would be amazing. Or any character. All right, so I now need to talk about the world of wrestling. It has, it has been a weird couple weeks in wrestling. There has, like... For example, Naomi and Sasha Banks walked out on Raw. They actually walked out before the show, but um, that has caused a huge thing. Stephanie McMahon has has stepped down from the WWE, which is weird. But this is the big thing. This is the thing that's making me sit there and go, oh my god, why? Ric Flair. You Woo! know you know who Ric Flair Woo! is. The man. One of the, one of the four horsemen. Ric Flair is 73 years old. Well, good for him. Good for him. Ric Flair is going to have a match at 73. Okay. I think this is a bad life choice. Well, Mae Young was doing it. Well, but Mae Young wasn't doing full-length full matches. She was taking bumps here and there because she was yeah, a tough old bird. Okay, but, I mean, the flips that she was doing over the top ropes in those matches at her age were astounding. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, Ric Flair's had a lot of health issues in the past. Yeah, but we, we know that it's... for. Okay, wrestling is not fake, but it is choreographed and the outcome is it's predetermined. All, it's all a work. It's all a work. It's all predetermined. But I just, I look at him. I mean, Ric Flair now is not the Ric, Ric Flair from the 70s. Hell, he's no. not even the Ric, Ric Flair from 2010. He is an old man. Now, there's a whole... Who's the match against? We don't know yet. There's no opponent yet. It was supposed to be Ricky Steamboat, but he went, no, I'm too old for this. Go away. Right. So, and this is the other problem I have, is the, I, I can't remember the booker's name, the promoter's name, but he has a reputation for being a shyster he is not a good guy and i feel like he has just gotten into rick flair's ear and convinced him to do this just so well i mean obviously so they can make money well they're gonna he, make a lot of money but did he get in his ear did he get in his ego and did he say here's a dump truck full of money that probably. i would like you to do probably i don't know i think it is i i find it concerning because i don't think rick flair should be doing that i don't know i I don't know. I think it's a bad life choice. Look, it's one of those things where things have to move forward. And in something like wrestling entertainment, which is what this is, it's like any athlete. You you get a, a a prime date 
that after you get a certain age, it's not a good idea. I can yeah. tell you this. If we had a, a party here, I would, and I came in and all of you were sitting on a couch or a chair or a table or whatever, you know the first things out of my mouth, Nick, would be, okay, somebody's got to give get up and give me give a chair to the old man yeah um like even like hulk hogan hulk hogan knows that he can't do a match anymore because his he says because of his finisher where he just lands on his butt every single yeah. match it's caused him massive spine compression right. he's been told by the doc by the doctor you do this again you could paralyze yourself but see this is what is lacking i feel in the wwe that was not lacking when I was watching the WWF many, many years ago, the old stoic former wrestlers became managers. Yeah. And I, I'm not seeing that. I would love to see Ric Flair as a manager. I'd love to see Hogan as a manager where they're outside the ring. They have a presence. They can throw it up a little bit if they want to. So Ric Flair, being, the, the pro, there is a slight problem with those guys specifically being managers. Like, I look at it with Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts has been working as a manager in AEW, and it's not great when the manager towers over the client. You mean they're size. taller then? They're much yeah. taller. And it, it and the thing, Ric Flair, Ric Flair is one thing. Ric Flair has been a manager. Um, he was kind of the manager in Evolution. He has done some managerial work for for his daughter. All right. So maybe they don't manage. Maybe they commentate. Yeah. Oh, Hulk Hogan would be a great commentator. Like, that's the thing. Like, I would love... Like, Hulk Hogan would be fine on commentary. That would be fine. Ric Flair? Fine. Manager. Or do but, the special referee gigs. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I Going back to Ric Flair doing a match, though? Not... I don't know. I don't think it's a good idea. Okay. And... One last thing we're going to talk about on the roundup. Very um, sad thing. Ray Liotta died. Ugh. So, John and I have very different experiences with Ray Liotta as an entertainer. You know him, and I'm not going to say that I haven't seen any Ray Liotta movies. That would be a lie. I absolutely have. But you know him more from movies, as where I got to spend more time with Ray Liotta as an entertainer through, of all things... Grand Theft Auto. Oh, okay. Grand Theft Auto Vice City. He played Tommy Versetti, who was the protagonist. So you're playing this very uh, Scarface-type character voiced by Ray Liotta. And he is just he's just crazy. There's a one level where you have to run down the street mowing people down with a chainsaw. Yeah. Lots of fun. Um, but you... What, what movies were... The movies that you like with Ray Liotta. Oh, well, it depends because there's there's uh, good Ray Liotta and then there's crazy villain Ray yeah. Liotta. And that, yeah. he's one of those few actors that can actually go in between the two. Nicolas Cage can do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Ray Liotta can do it. So, I mean, I, I love, I mean, obviously Goodfellas. Yeah. Goodfellas is his movie straight up. Well, it's kind of Joe Pesci's movie, but... Uh, Ray Liotta, you know, is very famously known for Goodfellas. I loved him in Hannibal. Yes. He was so slimy in Hannibal. And, you you know, Krenler gets his kermuppance so, very well in that. I was reading a bit about that. And apparently Ray Liotta, Ray Liotta loved that scene. Yeah. Where they were eating his yeah, brain. Yeah, yeah. He thought that was the coolest thing ever. And he delivers that line... It's not very good, buddy. <laughs> so well. <laughs> so well. 
And uh, of course, a Field of Dreams, just to name a couple movies. Yeah, yeah. It's it's sad when Ray Liotta is always. Uh, he's not always been the top top tier of Hollywood, but he's always been very very present in the forefront of Hollywood. And in the nineties, in the nineties, he was definitely an A list actor. Yeah, and. Um, it's sad when they die unexpectedly because he yeah. died in his sleep. And he was making a movie. Yeah. Like, geez. So, I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be more that comes out of that um, that we don't know at this particular point. But, um, yeah, very, very sad news. Um, and it's it's hard for me because, and you're starting to experience it yourself, everything that I grew up with is really starting to disappear. And I kind of give... A lot of credit to people that are keeping that legacy alive. For instance, um, our friend Butch Patrick yep. uh, was in Lidsville and the Munsters, played Eddie Munster. And he went to the very first Sid and Marty Croft Con. Croft Con. So Did he, he now? Yeah, because he was in a Sid and Marty Croft show, right? Okay. And so someone decided that they were going to do a whole con based on the Sid and Marty Croft uh Characters like H.R. Puff and stuff, Boogaloos. That sounds yeah. totally wild. <laughs> it would have been. And it, the, the pictures that I saw uh, from his, his Facebook page are amazing. They're amazing. And Wait, I'm, was this recently? Yeah. This oh, was my just God. Like, like a couple weeks ago. Like maybe a week ago. And my only th- sad part is that Billy Hayes, who played Witchy Poo, uh, passed away a couple years ago. And it would have been nice if she had still been around in order to go to these yeah. the Sid and Marty Croft con. Yeah. Um, God, that's so cool. Yeah, it, it is cool. And, <laughs> and you know, uh, and you know, cons are coming back next week. Is the Niagara Falls Comic Con? Yeah, that's one of our favorites. It is the biggest little con ever because they get people from the states and all over to come to Niagara Falls, and it's uh, it's still like a sellout. It's not a crowd right now that I want to throw myself into, so I'm yeah. giving it a, a skip. But uh, I just hope that we can start moving back into these more normal, fun things that help us escape. Well, Frightmare in the Falls is in the fall. Obviously. And, I and am, it's in the falls. <laughs> yeah. And I am I'm hoping things will calm down by then. Because there's already things that I've missed out. Like, I wanted to go to uh, uh, Shockfest. I wanted to go to even the London uh, Comic Con. But it's the well, Forest City Comic Con. Yeah, Forest City is on. London Comic Con is not. Okay, Forest City Comic Con. Or at least I haven't heard anything about so it. So, Forest, Forest City Comic Con is at the end of June. I want to go to that, but it's still a little too soon. Yeah, I... Yeah. And I miss cons. I and, miss ju- cons. and just a reminder, folks, wherever you are at coming out of the end of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, please be respectful of people and their, their personal space bubbles. We're all in this together still because let me tell you what happened when I took my mother to see... Downton Abbey. So right. I took her to the four o'clock matinee because historically not a lot of people there. Eight of us in the theater. Mm-hmm. I was one of two guys. I was also one of two people that didn't have gray hair. As we're leaving this, my mother is very small. She's very cute. She's a sweet little old lady. And I really hate when people treat senior citizens like they're children. Mm-hmm. So my mother walks with a walker and this lady came up she had a mask, Nick, but it was on her wrist. Because of course it was. Great place and, and for it. And she came in and got right close to my mother and said, and said, being very sweet, she's like, I just wanted to know, how did you like the movie? And I wanted to say, please back away from my mother. 
you know, I find that exceptionally disrespectful because not just for the not wearing a mask thing, but like if I walked up to another adult and went, how did you like the movie? They'd hit me. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, uh, I don't know. Anyway. Okay, but I'm not getting into that because the, the, the idea, I know that the idea behind this yeah, movie I know, is, I know. is innocent and it's pure and it's thoughtful. Okay. In a way. Yeah. But in another way, it's not. And I'm more flabbergasted at the fact that I'm sitting there going, I have done everything I can possibly do in the past two years to get my mother through the trauma of my father passing away, to keep her safe from COVID-19. And this woman, who clearly knows that we should be still wearing masks, regardless of what the government says, has one, but didn't have it on and got right close to her face and i'm going oh my god she shouldn't have done that so so anyway the point of this folks is no matter what your belief is no matter what our belief is it doesn't matter please respect one another's personal space and where they're at at this particular point yeah so moving on we want to talk about we already mentioned it so Obi-Wan came out. Yeah, we're into our main topics now. Let's start with Obi-Wan Kenobi. All right. So, John and I have very differing views on this. I really, really, really enjoyed Obi-Wan. I did not. He did not. Now, I liked it because, one, I really dig Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. I think we can both agree on that. Yes. Okay. I found there to be a lot of excellent pathos with obi-wan i i felt like he was a man who was lost very much at the end of his rope because he's stuck on this desert planet he's cutting meat daily like he's not he doesn't have a good life he used to be an adventurer but then he took an arrow to the knee (laughs) but he, he used to be an adventurer and he used to be this grand jedi who would who would save people who would who would fight in a war and and take on all all the clankers and take on all of the geonosians and all that stuff and now he's a guy just a guy on a desert planet harvesting meat it's it's interesting to see him it, it kind of mirrors for me the story of what luke was going through in the last jedi just doing a little bit better because when he is when the call of action is there he does it he goes to the action reluctantly very reluctantly because he knows if if he's caught if people find out where he is that put that puts long young luke in danger but he still goes because he has to go rescue young princess leia the fight scenes were great i i really I really dug a lot of the effects and a lot of the settings. I was a little eh on some of the alien species, especially the Gunnosaurus Rex. I didn't dig that. But other than that, I really, really, really dug it. Nick, um, last night I was talking to our number one alien, Dawn, and I said to her, yes, Nick and I are recording the podcast. Be prepared. We're going to fight. <laughs> and, and she said, you're going to fight? And I said, well, we're going to disagree. Um folks don't come for me it's my opinion you have a series that to me is based on three garbage movies so it can't be good 
It's not going to be good. I did not. I did not go into this with a closed mind. Obi Wan Kenobi, as you will remember from our Star Wars special, is my favorite character from the Star Wars series. So I want to like it. But Nick, this gets back to where we talked about um, how the original trilogy is ruined for somebody like me. Yeah. But it's not just the special effects that have ruined it. It's this oversaturation of a story that doesn't need to be told. I got that from back in 1977 that Obi-Wan had been sitting around on this rock hiding, doing squat. And I can I can understand that. I can understand that. Like, here's the thing. But it, the, the dynamic of the characters is all changed. It's, see, this is the thing. It's This is why the original trilogy is ruined. It's not just the special effects. It's not all that. Why, why it's ruined for someone like me is because the story in and of itself, those pure three stories, has now changed dramatically. I can, and I can understand that. The original, the original uh, trilogy was, initially the story was a boy, a girl, and a galaxy. And then with the prequel trilogy, they turned it into the tragedy and redemption of Anakin Skywalker. And that's what the entire six movies became. And then... And it wasn't... With, those, those prequels were not even told well. And then with the sequel trilogy, it, it essentially becomes the legacy of Shreve Palpatine. So whenever they add on to these, and I, I think I'm happy that Disney is no longer doing anything to do with the Skywalker saga, but whenever they add on anything to these movies, it does kind of change the story. And I understand how that can get very frustrating. Yeah, well, let's take Rogue <clears throat> One as an example, because yeah. I'd mentioned this. Rogue One is a is an actually good Star Wars movie. I enjoyed it. I liked it, right? But it was also telling a story that I didn't need because I got that. I got that from the very first Star Wars movie. Yes, uh, many rebels died trying to get these plans to us. Gotcha. Thanks. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the thing. There are stories that don't need to be told that you want to see and stories that don't need to be told that you don't want to see. But I I didn't care about... Again, Rogue One, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic, but I didn't really care about that story. Same thing with Solo. I'm one of the few people that actually enjoyed Solo, but other than Han meets Chewie, I didn't really care that much about the story. It was okay. It was Didn't fine. Did you really but... need to know how Han met Chewie? Not really. No. That, that's like here's the thing. That, here's the, the thing. But that's my point. They've taken a story that was compact, that was pure, that had three movies that were a great trilogy that that did all of these wonderful things for pop culture that started all of this stuff going on and then they go well let's do this and let's do this and now we got to try and jam this into it and i i'm sorry the reason it gets ruined one of the reasons as i mentioned is i cannot now watch that original trilogy without thinking in the back of my head darth vader made c3po uh yeah okay and that's fair that is completely fair i will give you that there were some things in the prequel trilogy that george lucas mishandled massively and i think part of the fact is george lucas kind of he kind of took that on his own with the help of one of his producers who i will not mention that i do not like but anyway and he didn't think everything out the way he should have like <clears throat> i don't understand the purpose of anakin skywalker creating c-3po because it just it just makes the the, the universe smaller oh well, yeah, and you know, it's it's really, it's one of those bizarre things, too. 
where we have mentioned this, where they're trying to cram all this in. And part of the thing is that they have not done consistency or congruity because Tatooine has to be about the harshest environment where in the span of 20 years, Baru and Owen and Obi-Wan can age 50 bloody years. What the hell? Oh, two suns, sand, it wouldn't oh. be, and it gets everywhere. Uh, yeah, I suppose it does. But, I mean, I, the, the thing of it is, in, in Obi-Wan, there's that scene, and we saw it in the trailer, where Obi-Wan is, is off there in the rocks, he's got his binoculars, and he's kind of seeing where Luke is, and Owen doesn't know where he is. He's like, Luke, where the hell'd you go? And Luke's on top of the domicile, whatever you want to call their house. Uh, it's hot, whatever, I don't know. And he's pretending he's in a fighter pilot or whatever. That snippet right there, Aliens. To me, that snippet, I I gleaned that in the original trilogy. That that's that's this that's it. That's the saga of Obi Wan. That's what he's been doing for twenty years: spying on Luke, waiting till he grows up, waiting for Baru and and Owen to to get killed by stormtroopers so he can take Luke and train him. That's it. And you know, I just going to the story. I like that conflict between Uncle Owen yes. and Obi Wan. But again, I got that from the original movie. He. Yeah. Frickin' hates Jedi's. I get it. And let, let's talk about um, uh, Uncle Owen for a second. Sorry, what was the actor's name again? Oh, Joel Egerton. Joel Egerton. I, I I know I know his name. I just never remember it. He did so much work to actually sound and mimic the actor that played Uncle Owen in the first. And movie. I will say that one scene I liked where uh, third sister has him. You know, says I'm going to kill this guy unless you out out the Jedi. And he's not doing it. He's not giving Ben up. And I love that scene because he's, he, it's an honest scene where Owen says, I hate the Jedi. Yeah. I hate them. And then Ben comes and says, thank you for doing that. And he says, I didn't do it for you. And you know he did it for Luke. But again, I don't need that story. Yeah. That's a great scene, but I don't need that story. Also, there's only one character I actually liked in this thing, and that's the Grand Inquisitor. And as far as we know, probably not, because that's the way these things go, but as far as we know, he did. You know, but, yeah. But, I mean, they, oh, it's just, I wanted to see more. And overall, I didn't find the acting that tremendous. It had its, I, I think it had its points. I think Ewan McGregor is, I from, from everything, like, you can see the nuances in his face. You can see there's something going on in his head. I think that Ewan McGregor's doing a great job. Yes, he, the, he plays Obi-Wan Ben Kenobi very well. I grant you that. The Other than the Inquisitor, the Grand Inquisitor, I kind of felt that the some of the bad guys were lacking. Although, Flea, it was kind of fun to see Flea in it. I was, I was Honestly, I was sitting there watching, like, is that Flea? And I pull out my, I pull out my phone, and I'm like, Oh my god, that's Flea! Yeah, <laughs> uh, for, uh, yeah for, I, I had the same reaction. I'm just like, what? And then I'm watching the end credits, like, oh yeah, Flea. <laughs> for the uh, for the uninitiated, uh, Flea is the ba- the bassist for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, um, yeah. I I just I I I can't because to me so, to me I I mean I really feel don't come for me, aliens, please. If you love the as we always say, if you love them, we're not taking that away from you. Continue to love them. Your opinion, my opinion. When you have a series that is based on three movies that are trash, it's not going to be good. And for the fans of the prequels, if you want to reach John on social media, you can. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you want to take a 
stripe off of me. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do I, that. I, I, again, I get it. But it's, it's one of those things, Nick, where uh, we said in other podcasts, I am tired of Star Wars. I am tired of Ghostbusters. I am tired of Ninja Turtles. I am tired. Come up with something new. But the problem with Hollywood is when they come up with something new, it fails and they don't make money. And, they, and that just... But uh, part of it is the writing. Because let's talk for a moment before we get into Stranger Things. Let's talk about tropes for a minute. So I watched a movie, not a great movie. I'm not going to say it is at all. But it's one of those things that I went, okay, this is watchable. I'm liking it. I like the dynamic. It's interesting. It's an interesting story. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want you to waste your time with it. <laughs> but the, the part of the plot was that something happened to the jetliner, the jet plane. Right. And they had to turn around and come back. They were flying to England. So they had to turn around and come back. And the captain is played by Nicolas Cage, and he's in communication with his daughter because they, they can't, they have to make an emergency landing, and they're not going to make it to any of the proper airports. Right. And she doesn't want her father to die because her mother and her brother already died and whatever. So this is what I mean by tropes. Nick, you and I have to get somewhere really fast. We don't have a vehicle. Oh, look, there's a motorbike. Can we hop on that motorbike and drive it? Not very far. No, this is like a, a college student, which has, there's never been any indication that she knows how to ride a motorbike. I've seen this in other movies. I'm just using this as the best example of this kind of horse pucky. So she gets on this motorbike and yeets herself to where she's going. And then, <laughs> and then she, she contacts her father. They're, they're talking through satellite or cell phones. Satellite phones. Yeah, satellite phones. And she says, I think I found a place. So what she's found is a highway, which has was like being repaved or something like right. that. So she gets into the truck that is conveniently there and starts that up and pushes the barriers out of the way. Of course she does. Okay. Of course she does. She can drive a car. She can drive a, a pickup truck. That's not, not the issue. She gets to the end of this thing and she realizes... Now, first of all, timing, that plane's already down. But... <laughs> But she gets to the end of the highway, and Nick, there's the paver there. Right. And it's it's blocking the highway. So she just yeets herself out of the truck, hops onto that paver, starts it up, and rolls it out of the way. So this, of course she this does. wonderkind, this Mary Sue, can ride a motorbike and a, drive a pickup truck and heavy construction equipment, which I don't know what she supposedly went to college for. But you apparently need you to, need training to do that. All of that. Uh, apparently, she went to college for using uh, construction equipment. So. I hate those kind of tropes. It's lazy, lazy writing, and it's the same thing. And I'm, I'm using it. I'm not picking on Obi Wan Kenobi, but I'm sick and tired. If you ever write this line again, I will kick you in the sphincter. Do, how do I know I can trust you? What choice do you have? I've seen that in so many movies and TV shows now. Just, yeah. oh, stop it already. Just stop it. Just trust the person or don't trust the person. But don't, it just, it's lazy writing. And just before we move on, I have to say, I love children, but I have to say this. If I'd been the Jedi that was sent to pick up that precocious Princess Leia, I would have been like, Oh, uh, okay. Push her back in the sunset. I'm sorry. I couldn't find her. She dead. 
She annoyed me so much. Oh, she annoyed me so much. So, moving away from lazy writing. Talking about precocious Mary Sue children, let's get into Stranger Things. Let's do that. All right, so Stranger Things dropped on Friday night. I... I did not watch it Friday night. I watched uh, Obi-Wan, then I moved over to the, the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs. So I spent yesterday watching, and I breezed through it all day yesterday. And, oh my Did you God. get all of it? I only got up to... Yeah. I only got up to Robert Englund's appearance. We've I, already done a spoiler alert for the yeah. whole show, so... So, yeah, I I finished it. I devoured it. Yeah, it I, so I, want, I wanted to devour but I had to take my mother to see Downton Abbey. Otherwise, yeah. I probably would have. Um... Nick, what are your thoughts on Stranger Things Season 4? Best season so far. 100% best season. Best villain so far. The I, I love the tension that the Duffer Brothers and their co-conspirators in directing can create in this show. The, the, the scene where... I think it's the first episode where Lucas is in, in the basketball game and the rest of them are all playing D&D. And... They're trying to they're trying to get a win against a creature called Vecna, and Lucas is about to get the maybe about to get the the scoring goal in the basketball game, which gets them the championship. And literally, I'm on in, I'm on the edge of my seat watching this. I'm like, yes, yeah, come you know on! what? I agree with you. That's one of the few cases where I didn't know if it was going to go in his favor or not. Yeah, yeah. It was, and it, there's a couple of scenes like that. There's a couple of scenes. Where, the thing is, is we've been with these kids for several years now. Not four years, because there's been years in between different seasons, but literally several years now. Yeah, it's supposed and, to be 1986 now. Yeah, and we, these, it, it's hard to not care about these kids. They're so, I love the characters, and you have your favorites. I love Dustin. I love Elle. Um, Lucas, I, I like Lucas. I've, I adore Max. And Michael's there. Uh, <laughs> but like the thing is, you really get to know these kids. You really get to enjoy their personalities. And there's they, they, they all have wonderful chemistry together. You buy it. Yeah. You buy, I, their, you buy them as characters. You buy them as people. I'm not going to get into whether I think this is the best season or not. Because quite frankly, I'm just in love with Stranger Things. I love what the Duffer Brothers are doing. The reason I love this is because having grown up in the 80s as a teenager, they have nailed this era perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I had to fight demigorgons. So, I mean, the style, the flavor, the feel, the the props that they have, the furniture, the cars, everything is so right for the era, so right for the year that they're portraying. It's marvelous, the details that they have in there. Remember how last episode we were talking about the synth music yeah and how it felt like because john carpenter did do that synth music for firestarter yeah that it felt like a john carpenter film with but it wasn't a john didn't feel like a john carpenter film what is nice about the synth music in stranger things is it's the same note Mm -hmm. that i will say that it sounds like a john carpenter score but they've done some things that make it feel like this might be a John Carpenter kind of series because that style of directing is there. Well, and that's that's the thing I was saying to you the other night. Like it seems, it feels a lot like John Carpenter. It feels like a spiel, like it feels like a Spielberg, one of those old ambulance yeah, it's films like, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's like the Goonies meet uh, uh, 
John Carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> the Goonies meet Halloween or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it, and that, that's kind of the thing. I mean, it, it is, if we're being honest, yes, it's a bit ridiculous that these teenage kids keep having these haunted adventures and that they get to be Marty and Mary Stews. But that's the point of it. Because, again, the Duffer Brothers are recreating an era where you had things like the Goonies, where you had... Uh, E.T., where you had all these wonderful John Carpenter films coming out, where Nightmare on Elm Street first uh, introduced us to Freddy the very first time it came out. There are things that happen in this season that really a kid, a teenager, someone who's just fresh into high school should not be able to kind of just get through, but it's the fact that you know they shouldn't be able to get through this and the fact that you know that they're you're not entirely sure if they are going to get through it. That helps create the tension. Oh. They help, like It's just, oh. And one of the things that they did that I thought was very smart mm-hmm. is when Elle confronts her bully. Oh, my God. In such a brutally savage way. And that you know that she had it coming. Yeah. You know that she did. But they do this in movies all the time, in television shows all the time, where there are no consequences to that action. Yep. And what I loved about this is that the police came knocking on the door. Hi, we're looking for her. Yeah, Jane. She, we're looking, uh, we're, she, she, she's guilty of assault. Let's yep. ta- we're taking her away. Off she goes. Now, there were, there were problems with that because, and this just comes down to the fact that it's probably the way cops at the time, even cops now, may have acted, is that they probably couldn't just have taken her because she would, one, have needed a guardian present, and two, a lawyer. Yeah. So, but anyway, I digress. Look, there are problems with the script. Again, getting getting into tropes. One of the tropes that we're doing now that I'm already tired of is please stop paying homage to other horror movies when they... I'm talking about the episode that I got to with Robert Englund. I I get it. I do not need to see a throwback to Silence of the Lambs. It really did feel like it that. It was did. that. Yeah, it was that. It, it does not feel like it was that. Right down from the psychiatrist who's running the institution, taking the girls down to the girls saying, you know, we'd really like to go see him alone. And it's like, okay, fine, whatever. It was beat for beat, 100% that. Yeah. And... It's one thing to make something feel like it. It's one thing to put in an Easter egg. It's another thing to just blatantly do it. Yeah. And I got to say, though, Robert Englund, horror scream king that he is. Oh, my God. It was delicious watching him perform as Victor Creel. It really was. He was fantastic in that five minutes he gets on screen. I wish we could have seen more of him. But we might. You don't know. Yeah, we might. Because I mean, let's face it, this is this is only the first seven episodes of season four. The other two will be coming July first, and they're both going to be like an hour and a half to hour forty five long. Yeah, two hours. Two hours or something yeah. like that. I'm looking forward to it because, um, I, I like I like we said, I got further into into it than John did, and I am. Yeah really waiting to see how that goes. Yeah, and, and you know, it leans heavily on a lot of these 80s horror movies where there, there is that feeling of A Nightmare on Elm Street. There is that feeling of... They mentioned Halloween. Yeah. They they do all these kind of wonderful things. This one with Silence of the Lambs, I thought, was one they shouldn't have done because that 
was not in the 80s. No, it wasn't. That was like 1990, 90, yeah. I think. So I mean, maybe 89, but 1990. I think. Yeah, but it's 1986. Yeah, right now in in the storytelling. So it takes you out a little bit, but overall, I love this series, Stranger Things. I think it's well acted. I think the kids have done a great job. It's been a great second act for Winona Ryder. Yeah, you know, um, and and David Harbour has really progressed a lot i think in his acting yeah um but i'm a sarcastic bugger nick i can't help it i sat there as i was um i texted nick and i said so when does black widow come and bust out her dad Uh, i mean i mean i get why they took it it took him to russia because there was the cold war going on in the 80s and he screwed up their plans, so yeah, <laughs> yeah they wanted but it, to punish I mean, him. It's, it's just it's when you get actors like that where he basically got out of he <laughs> he got out of Stranger Things so he could go and do these movies, Hellboy and Black Widow. The pandemic happened. <laughs> yeah. And so they they brought him kind of right back into it, so nothing was was missed, but that's why he was sort of jettisoned out yeah. without really being dying. Yeah, I think I think the intention may have been to bring him back later on in the Probably. series. Probably. But again, the pandemic happened and there it they is. They didn't have to. Yeah. But now we've got these, like, it's a bit, I have to say, it's a bit confusing because there's this story going on over here, there's that story going on over here, and then there's this one going on over here, and somehow they will all marry together. So, and that's that's kind of one of my my favorite aspects to a sequel story. Not not every sequel story does this, but I like sequel stories where, you know, we'll go back to Star Wars. In the first movie, all the characters come together. You got Luke, Han, and Leia, and Chewie. They all come together. Then the Empire Strikes Back happens, and they're all split up doing their own thing. And I like stories like that, where the main character... I like sequels like that, where the main characters have been split up and have to figure out things on their own. Yeah. I really enjoy that. And how it all kind of comes together. Well, the reason that they do that, though, is simply to have cutaway scenes so that they can have yeah. uh, the passage of time. Yeah. It, it's, it makes sense from a storytelling perspective. Even when you read a book, most books take part take place in from other characters' perspectives. And sometimes you have characters in setting A and characters in setting B and characters in setting C. Yeah. And then it all comes together at the end. Um, yeah, I, and I have to say to you, I'm, let, let's go back to the very first episode, because this is what happens in every television show. You have your great cliffhanger. Right. And then we got to come back into the, the next season. And you, what happens in the next season is you get the reintroduction to the characters, and you kind of have to slog along with it a little bit. You do with Stranger Things, too, but that ending, oh my god, with Chrissy, and I just, oh it was one of god. those moments where you go, gasp, we've been introduced to these new characters who ain't gonna last long, folks. Well, and that's the thing, like, we've seen some horrifying deaths in Stranger Things, starting with Barb, and then moving throughout the series, oh god, um, Sean Astin's character, oh, that was, that was heart-wrenching. That sucked. Bob. <laughs> Bob. Um, yeah, you know, what I loved about that, though, is that usually when they introduce a character like that, they turn out to be a schmuck later on. They're, yeah. They're, there's, there's, like, some villainous intent that they're doing. No, that wasn't the case with Bob. And I loved it. I loved it because all season long you're going, okay, when's he going to turn? When's he going to turn? He's it, gonna... it, oh, he doesn't. Oh, 
It, it was exactly that. Okay, good. <laughs> it's gonna. He's gonna turn out to be one of the guys working for the lab. No, okay, all right. Well, he's dead now, so. Yeah. Um, but Sean Astin was great. In that. Oh, I love Sean Astin. So I love Sean Astin. And, and, and I think this is the thing. Like usually, uh, a, a series has a third season kind of slump off. This didn't. No, it didn't. And I think that's because they've like like I said before, there are sometimes years, a year between se- like more than a year between seasons of Stranger Things. Yeah. And I think they take the time. And again, it's also only uh, nine episodes a season. So I think they really get to laser focus yeah. on the story. And there's not too much baggage. There's not too much extra weight. And it's just really good. And they've, they've chosen these young kid actors who are really, really phenomenal. They've chosen great adult actors to prop them up. And it's just so good. And, you know, again, the feel of this thing, it feels like, honestly, it feels like I'm watching something that I probably, it's a bit of a mind mess up because it feels like I'm watching a show that actually was an 80s show. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Unlike the comedy that 70s show, it never felt like it was actually the 70s. Yeah. But this actually feels, in a way, like it's like... I, I like I watched it in 1986. Yeah, and I can totally understand that. It, it, it's a great show. I love it. My only and... my only thing though is I wish that Netflix. This is this is totally a Netflix problem. It's not the the show itself. I wish that they almost would do what Disney Plus does, where it's like, okay, Friday nights it's Stranger Things. You get oh. to see one episode and then you gotta wait because the. There's nothing wrong with binging. I like binging, especially if it's a, a a show that I hadn't watched when it was in its run, like I did with Sons of Anarchy or like I did with Breaking Bad. But I would love to have that as part of my Friday night ritual because when you come from an era as I do, and you did to yeah. a certain extent. Oh, yeah. like Where you wasn't... had to wait. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like I grew up, like like I mentioned earlier, I watched the Disney Afternoon. I watched TGIF. Like I had yeah. the, the, the the weekly things that I would watch, um, but it, I, it helps give structure to your life. Believe it or not, <laughs> yeah, it does. So here's my thing: I I do and I don't. I would love to have Stranger Th- an episode of Stranger Things every Friday night, but at the same time, I want it all at once. It's like that tasty dessert where you know you shouldn't eat the entire thing. But you want to. And that's why you have diabetes now. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, Nick and I are both diabetic, so please be... Here's Here is a service announcement. Please be kind to people with diabetes. We have enough crap to deal with. And we might have a sugar rage and hurt you. Yeah. So, anyway. All, or, or the opposite, too, like a low sugar. Um, and, you know, that's one thing that... Uh, we're getting a little off topic here, but we're coming to the end of the show anyway. Um, that's one thing that I, that I want people to understand. Since we have this platform... If you have somebody in your life who is diabetic and you notice that they are kind of grouchy, their blood sugar is probably either low or high. Please be patient with them because they don't necessarily know they're being grouchy. Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. Um, So with Stranger Things, fantastic season. Well, fantastic four seasons. So yeah, far. just absolutely brilliant. You know, and it, to to me, it was another one too, like Sabrina, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. That didn't really kind of go off the rails till like the last season. I'm not sure what they were thinking in that. Yeah, but I loved that that series. This is my problem with Netflix. You ha- they have really good series that they just pull the plugs on. 
I and, don't, and, and the creators aren't expecting that to happen. I have a feeling because Netflix has kind of become the house that Stranger Things built. I think it would be a very poor decision for them to pull the plug on Stranger Things before the end before well, it ends. I wish that they would learn about this stuff because they pulled the plug on Santa Clarita Diet too yep. soon. They pulled the plug on the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina too soon. Yeah, a um, few others as well. Yeah, and I I just don't. But then again, the teenagers are growing up. So do you bring in? a new crop because this is what happened with glee you brought in a new crop of kids it worked they but they were limping those seasons along you know and listen there's there's nothing wrong with them growing up obviously they can there's lots of ways they can do it. i mean first and foremost we've seen actors in their 20s play teenagers before so whatever yeah um going back to sabrina the teenage witch with melissa joan hart she was in her early teens for the entire run of it, um, up until the last season when she was in her late teens, or her 20s, sorry, yeah. her 20s is what I mean. Um, it's normal. But another thing they could do is a ch- time jump. If they want to do a time jump, they could do They that. already have. Yeah. they could. But like I was talking, like they could move it from 1986 to 1990, something but like that. But sometimes time jumps don't work. Riverdale, um, actually, and Riverdale's, they pulled the plug on Riverdale. They have. But that time jump is almost like they jumped the shark because as soon as they did that i was like wow okay to me riverdale has gotten progressively stupider so (laughs) so and funny that you say that it's gotten progressively super now that the show is coming to an end i want them to make a movie and i want them to make a movie with the cast from riverdale and with karen shipka from sabrina and I want them to make. There's already a comic book of this. Archie versus Predator, the movie. <laughs> I need. I I need to see that before I die, because that would just be amazing. Well, the first Archie versus Predator was good. The second one, not I never so much. never read the, the second I, one. You know, I, just on a side note, I do love the Archie horror comics. That was a great way to bring me back into Archie comics. Yeah, um, it's it's such an interesting thing. Like Archie's been around for so so long, and they've always found ways to refresh him and refresh him and, and his and his the, the rest of the cast. The, yeah, well, the, keeping it family friendly. Yeah, and but, but this this whole Archie horror thing is just genius. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, I love horror. I love it when they take things that don't that aren't necessarily horror. And just go full into it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we've, we've sort of been seeing some horror light, some... Yeah. Where it's like, listen, what, what are you going to do? And this was one of the criticisms. Let's kind of bring it back in as we're wrapping up here. One of the criticisms we had about Morbius. It's like, are you a superhero movie? Are you a horror movie? It, it didn't, didn't know. Really, it didn't know. You didn't really lean heavily on one or the other. And I think that that is always a mistake. Go, go take the risk. Go for it. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, first and foremost, you can get hold of us on Twitter at the area 51H. Same thing with Instagram and TikTok. And if you like our content, make sure to rate us on Spotify and Apple and make sure you share it. And a shout out, as always, to our number one alien, Dawn, who keeps us going and does just that. She shares us with everybody she can. She is 
our uber fan and we love her and i know she's got some medical procedures coming up shortly from having talked with her so we are wishing her well on that and she promises to keep us updated as to how she is doing that's all the time we have for this episode of area 51 and a half where we talk about all things science fiction horror fantasy and pop culture aliens join us again thank you very much for listening that was a good show Oh, of course they're all good shows. You but. say that all the time. One, one of these times, it's going to be fun. Listen to that. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs>